0: Does the name Brian Usiggy ring a bell to any of you? Robert Hawkins? Mark Barton? Terry Ratzman? Robert Stewart? Yusigi, 1999, Hawaii office building, seven dead. Hawkins, 2007, Nebraska shopping mall, nine dead. Barton, Ratzman, and Stewart, 24 dead from those men. The Atlanta brokerage offices, you might remember that. 2005, a Wisconsin church service. And last week, Robert Stewart, North Carolina Rehab Center. Friday, Binghamton, New York, 14 people dead. Saturday morning, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, they call 911, a man lays in wait and hiding and kills three police officers that show up. Saturday night, last night, Graham, Washington, five children between 7 and 16 were found, shot to death in a mobile home park at the hands of their father, who then went and killed himself. In the past 30 days, 50 people have been shot dead in mass shootings and their aftermath here in the United States. I want to pray for those people and pray for their families. Lord Jesus, what is going on in our country? We're asking, Lord, that you would come and save sometimes there's something wrong in my heart and what rises up in me is oh this is probably what we deserve but God there's there's something in us that's to call out for mercy and for salvation for our nation so Lord would you come and all over this country would you turn hearts again to you Or does it take faith to ask for that Would you turn our hearts back to you, Lord? Would you come and save, I pray? Amen. Now, although I I don't want to make any direct link between those killings and the teaching that I bring this morning, still, I, I have to ask the question, at what point will we as Americans say, it's time to do things God's way. I mean, how, how much more is it going to take of, of, of really the, the clear result of people disobeying God and turning away from God, how much more until we will fall on our faces and say, God, we're sick and tired of this. We want your way, God. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Now, now that is a big point, because what I'm going to teach on this morning, for many of you, there will be something that will rise up and you'll say, I'm not going to do that. When we talk about what what men are called to in marriage and what women are called to in marriage, there will be, I just know it, there will be within you, within many of you, a, a sense of rebellion that will rise up and say, No way! You may even get angry with me. You may say, Who is he to teach that? But I ask you, at what point will we as people say, Enough of our way? God, we've got to do things your way. G.K. Chesterton said, Many people reject Christianity not because they try it and find it failing but because they find it difficult so they never try it at all. And when it comes to, to God's design for marriage, I don't think that people have turned away from God's design of marriage because they've tried it and found that it failed. I think they turned away from God's call on marriage because they, they say, that, that seems difficult. I don't think I'll try it at all. Now, I don't know when it started in the United States. You know, we, we put a lot of blame on the 60s Some of you, that was your favorite decade, but I don't know if it was in the 60s or not. um, But I know that as a nation, we've tried for a long time to have marriages our way. And within the church, we've tried to do marriages our way and I say this not to beat anybody up, but it's just the reality, but you know that statistically there's no difference between Christian marriages and non-Christian marriages. Like, there, in terms of being salt and light, like, that there'd be a stark, beautiful difference among the people of God in terms of, of what our marriages are like? It ain't happening. So even within the church... And it's been a long time that we tried to do it our way. When will we come to a place where we're going to say, God, cueste lo que cueste. That's a Spanish phrase. No matter what it costs. No matter what it costs. God, we see the end of trying to do it our way. And we're not going to go down that path. Let me read for you um, Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse 17. And uh, I don't think I'm going to get much farther than that today. I was troubled all week with this message because I thought there is no way I can get that done in 30 minutes. So I'm not even going to try. And uh, we'll just leave it for another Sunday. But let me introduce this at least. This is uh, God's design for marriages Probably one of the most fundamental passages on marriage in the Bible Like if if you want to get a marriage right, this passage you've got to know Okay. And it's interesting that this is one of the most disputed passages on marriage in the Bible But I want to start in in verse 17 And I'll explain in a little why I would want to start in verse 17 by the way, this is, this is the kind of teaching where our Christian faith becomes very practical, and I'm really glad for that because it keeps our faith from being just some kind of, you know, like they used to say, pie in the sky thing, you know, just kind of like theory. I'm thankful that it becomes practical, but I'm also thankful because it gives us hope because I want you to know that every time God commands something, it's because He intends to do something in that area. And so when you feel hopeless, return to God's word, to God's like recipe, to God's description of righteousness for your marriage, and what he asks of you, he's fully willing to help you get there, okay? So hopefully this will bring you a sense of hope. Uh, 5.17, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the, Lord, what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Boy, there is so much there. Without even getting into the details of the text and definitions and and all of that, there are a couple lessons that just from like that quick reading of that text we can pull out. The first is um, your spirituality must show itself in your marriage. Okay? You might want to write that one down. Your Christian faith must be reflected in your marriage. You say, where did you get that? Well, it's interesting. You all know that the New Testament was written in Greek, not in English. In the Greek, there's some controversy on when this sentence that starts in verse uh, 17, when this sentence ends. It's not really clear. And you see how you have that break between verses 21 and 22? 22. It's not really clear that there's a paragraph break there, nor is the sentence complete. The reading of this verse sounds, in the original, more like this. Um, Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. That's the imperative. That's the command. Now, everything that flows from that are called participles. What that means is they are the how-to. They are the demonstration. So the command of God is, be filled with the Spirit. Then what does that look like? You can see them. They all end with ing in my translation. Maybe they do in yours as well. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So be filled with the Spirit. You say, well, how would I know that I'm filled with the Spirit? It's going to affect my speech, the way I talk to other people. My my language is going to start to get filled up with the Bible. I'm I'm going to be addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The next one is singing and making melody in your heart. It's part of the same sentence. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another, singing to one another. The next one is in verse 20 giving thanks giving thanks always and for everything to god the father in the name of our lord jesus christ in other words the expressions of being filled with the spirit are are like those three the way we address each other the, the the way we actually sing to each other and the giving thanks that we have to each other it's all part of the same thought it's all part of the same sentence and it continues in verse 21 submitting to one another like the point here is if you want to be filled with the spirit it better show in your language it better show in your gratitude and it better show in your submissive relationship with each other now it's not clear if the sentence ends there Because the very next sentence says, wives, and in the Greek, it doesn't even have the word submit to it. It is so linked with the previous passage that it it reads like this. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your husbands. So that's where I get my point. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, it better show wives in the way you submit to your husbands. Your spirituality must be evidenced in your marriage. God is fully committed That your faith gets worked out practically, dynamically, visibly, observably in what is most precious in your life. Now again, don't allow that to be a burden to your soul like, oh man, I'm really bad in my marriage. Don't look at it that way. Look at it this way. God has high intentions for your marriage. Raise your vision to what God has for you. He desires that your marriage would be spirit-filled. What that means is, in the same way a drunk person is controlled by wine and all of their actions are evidenced by wine, your marriage has the potential that in everything it would be governed by the Holy Spirit. It would look like the Holy Spirit. You would talk like the Holy Spirit. You'd see the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit in your marriage. That's the purpose of God. Your spirituality must translate into practicality in your marriage now there's there's one other simple teaching that comes just by reading this passage and and it's the order that i find in it now there are some that believe that this although the sentence does not continue from verse 17 all the way until chapter 6 verse 9 clearly the thought does and being filled with the spirit that it talks about in 5:17 is evidenced in now a series of relationships. OK? So the first one is, is uh, marriage. The first one that he specifically describes is your marriage. Your spirituality will impact your marriage. What's the second one? Just keep on looking in the text. Your parenting. What's the third one? Your work relationships. Now, I just want you to see that, that this, that this, uh, this, this intention of God is, is to work this way. Your, your spirituality, your faith touches your life, and it immediately impacts your marriage. And from there, it impacts your family and your parenting. And from there, it impacts your workplace. Those are three key places that God wants to touch. Your marriage, your parenting, your workplace. That's where your spirituality should most be evidenced. Of course, there's nothing really sadder than to talk with people who know Christian people outside of church. Did you follow that? It'd be like... You know, when you talk to a friend of someone that goes to church, and it's happened to me before, like I, I'll say to somebody, oh yeah, that person goes to our church, and immediately they get this look on their face like, oh my God, all right. I know what your church is like now. Ouch. That's because our spirituality, or like when children hear something about mom and dad at church and then they roll their eyes because they go like, yeah, like I wish they lived that happy at home. You see, our faith has to translate into what is most practical. And and there was a teaching that you received once that we should view our lives in concentric circles. Right? God touches the depth of your heart that flows into your marriage That flows into your parenting and your family that flows into your workplace then that flows into any other ministry that you may have what we like to do is say God can I pick and choose where my faith is supposed to impact my life is it okay God if we just like if I'm a good elder but I'm really bad in my marriage is that okay God and he says he says Now, this is all part of this design of God where as we see it, there should be something that rises up and and says, Oh, God, like, no longer do we want to do things our way. We want to get this right. And so I'll just leave it for you this morning right there. Two simple, two simple teachings that your spirituality must touch your marriage and two, like... Your marriage becomes the basis of everything else that you do in your life, okay? Like, your parenting will reflect what's going on in your marriage. Boy, I could just park on that one for a while. You, you want to understand a little bit of what's going on in the rebellion of your children? Your children act rebellious because they see it in the marriage. Mom and dad open the door to rebellion in the home in the way they interact with each other. It's the marriage. And then out of that, their children follow suit. It's marriage, then parenting, then the workplace, then other ministries. That's a huge teaching we must learn. God wants it to start in our marriage.